Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everyone. Welcome. You know... I'm always amazed, I'm always surprised, I'm always intrigued, and then I'm always shocked. And then I'm forever grateful. I wonder what would happen if PETA didn't exist. I'm just curious. Because when I think about what the organization and its absolutely dedicated staff is doing, every conversation I have with them, I ask myself, what would happen if they weren't here? Today, 30th anniversary, free the animals. 30th anniversary. Do you all, can you just wrap your mind around this for a minute? And if you're wondering, who are they? What are these folks? Free the animals, 30th anniversary by an organization that stepped up in a world where nobody else was. PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. You all know from the very beginning, I don't care how far back you go, whether you have watched top athletes completely abuse their dogs, or you've seen your neighbor, or you've seen experimentation in the world, or you've seen, fill fill in your own blanks, fill it out. But today, Free the Animals 30th Anniversary Edition with the forward by Joaquin Phoenix who hasn't tamed the movie rights to the story. Of course he has, of course he has. And what we're talking about today, you're gonna get from Dr. Emily Trunnell, Senior Scientist for PETA, because we want all y'all to know that this originally released edition is now coming back with the power and a vengeance. If we are not aware of what the heck has been going on, and we think it is not going on anymore, that the research and the cruelty of animals does not exist anymore in the United States of America and around the world. After this conversation, I hope you'll get on board. Dr. Chernell, thank you for joining me here today. Thank you so much for having me, Pat. Uh, I, I don't know if I gave you the right pronunciation of your name, but I kind of like the way that sounded. <laughs> That's fine. Um, but I want to hear from you. Have we learned anything? And is this, this 30th anniversary and what y'all doing now, more important now than it's ever been? What are your thoughts on that? I think it's, it's at least equally important. So the 30th anniversary edition has a new afterword, which I was very honored to be asked to write. And in the new afterword, we go into whether or not the experiments described in the book are still happening today. 
And PETA has been able to end some of the experiments, but there are many that are, are still going on today. And these are things like you know, decompression experiments on animals, giving them the bends, traumatic brain injuries, blindness experiments. This is still a critical issue because hundreds of millions of animals are still used in experiments and, and killed in the U.S. every year. I want to ask you this question. I, I mean, uh, you know, you have to be over the moon about Joaquin Phoenix's interest in this. Of course he is, right? But you have to be over the moon that we may be bringing something or he may be bringing something to the forefront that will shock people. You know, I, I, here's what I know. I didn't realize what was happening in the the meat industry until I saw some some films and it changed me forever. I want to ask you this question. Where are we now? Give us some updates. What is happening with research? And you know, here's the shocking thing. The only thing you can talk about is what you know. I can't even imagine what's going on that you don't know about, right? That's part of the problem, you know, in the in the 80s and the early 90s when, you know, the events of the book were happening, um there was there was little worry from the experimenters that they that anyone would care what they're doing or they were that they were going to get caught. Um, now, you know, since PETA has PETA and the Animal Liberation Front exposed so much of what was happening, they're much more secretive. So, but but PETA will we file public records requests, we do undercover investigations. Um, you know, our mission is to, you know, get to get these experiments out of the basement laboratory and into the public eye so that so that the public can really see what's happening, because they actually fund a lot of it with their tax dollars, which I think a lot of people would be horrified to find out. Mm. Uh, let's talk about the efficacy for a minute. You know, I, I think folks are under the impression, and I really do believe folks still are under the impression that the only way to go is animal testing. But we're going to talk about what happened with the vaccines of COVID-19, number one. But even more importantly, there's an illusion out there that if we go through these extensive testing using animals, that we are going to be better off or safer. What is the update on that and the research practices from where you sit? So the current statistics, um, so that is the message that we're sold, right? We have to do yeah. these animal tests first or people would be harmed by these drugs. People, you know, we're trying to make this whole process safer for humans. But these drugs, new drugs that go into clinical trials have gone through animal testing to see if they're safe, to see if they're effective. And those animal tests fail to predict what happens in humans 95% of the time. So those results aren't actually relevant. So when a drug does go into human clinical trials, it's still, it's risky because they're relying on data that, that 95% of the time doesn't, doesn't apply to humans. Um, so, so the, you know, the, this message that animal tests make, make the drug discovery process and, and the testing process safer is just not true. In some cases, drugs that have been very safe in animals have gone on to kill people. Um, and, you know, we see, we see this happen, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. COVID-19 vaccine development is a great example. So in that case, there was such an urgent need for this new drug that, the regulators and the, the pharmaceutical companies agreed that they could go ahead and start the human trials and do the animal testing alongside of it. And that was really more to just kind of check a box to say that they, oh, well, we did the animal tests. 
but they knew that these tests aren't effective and don't really give us results that we can rely on. So that they went ahead with the with the human trials in that case. And if they can do it, then you know we can do it for other other diseases because those are also critically important, and, and people are waiting for those. You know, what's so interesting about this conversation, I know it's not part of this particular interview today. I've always been baffled because I have watched friends and family die. And I had a friend um, m least likely to ever, ever, ever get cancer. It's an Olympic athlete. You know what I'm saying? Just a totally mm -hmm. likely. She begged. She pleaded. She was willing to sign any document on the planet to be part of some of these trials. We're caught in this really, I call it an ethical conundrum. And yet at the same time, you nailed it. People are waiting. I wanna ask you this other question though. I mean, how much of this basic research that involves animals, how much of it actually is leading to treatments for, you, for, for humans? And what is the financial, how should I say it, backdrop of this? So the, um, the, the majority of, of basic research experiments are funded. And, and when we talk about, so there's two different things we're kind of talking about. One mm -hmm. is drug testing, um, and that has a, you know, overall a 95% failure rate. Some of, in some areas, it's 100%. Um, but basic research is more of that research that's done for, uh, for your listeners for, you know, just kind of learning more about biology and diseases without really... A, specific drug in mind. And in that case, you know, these, these curiosity-based experiments, they fail 90% of the time. So this is, this number is pretty consistent throughout 90% of findings from basic research fail to lead to anything meaningful for humans. And the National Institutes of Health is the largest funder of, of these kinds of experiments in the world. Mm -hmm. And they, despite this 90% failure rate, they give a roughly half of their annual budget, which is $40 billion, to animal experiments still, um, despite decades of, of knowing these statistics. Well, this last part, and of course this question, really goes to the solution. Um, I want to make sure everybody knows how to find out about PETA. It's really simple. It's P-E-T-A dot org, PETA. People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, P-E-T-A dot org. I, I want to go to the solution because I know every conversation I have with you all, there's a solution. There's something you all are doing. And today it is talking about PETA's research modernization deal and the strategy behind the plan. Wow. Talk about this. Right. PETA, our mission is to make sure that, you know, hopefully sooner, but at least in another 30 years, you know, we, in another 30 years, we won't be talking about how these experiments are still happening. The research modernization deal um, is our plan to make this happen. It was developed by scientists. It's endorsed by the National Medical Association and the National Hispanic Medical Association. You know, physicians are really a lot on board with this issue and this plan. Um, you know, they're the ones who are treating patients who don't have the, who don't have, you know, effective drugs with few side effects to prescribe to their patients. And the research modernization deal is a, it's, one, it's the first actual comprehensive strategy to phase out the use of animals in biomedical research. What excites you most when you think about this? I mean, it's kind of like, wow, of course PETA has come up with something. 
But this is not just a something. This is a strategic plan. This is an action plan. This is a definite goal in mind. This has backing support. Uh, what excites you most and what obstacles do you see? What it really excites me how much support we get on this issue, you know, across the aisle, like uh, many, you know, people have disagreements on, on animal issues or on other uh, social justice issues, but almost everyone is in agreement that we should not be using animals for uh, experiments, especially when there are other options. And so uh, what excites me is, is the support for this effort and um, you know, just the fact that you know, I, I'm obviously I work for PETA. I, I care very much about animals and, and want to eliminate their suffering. But I'm also a scientist, and when I was getting my training as a scientist, I did experiments on animals, and I was found out firsthand that how broken the system is, how people can do really anything they want with no oversight, but also how you know, the, the experiments that are being done are, are not relevant to people. And so I, I'm really excited about the fact that we can move in a direction that's better for patients, that will get us cures and treatments faster. And that's even, you know, personalized medicine. Some of these new devices can use our own individual cells to, to research and, and to test drugs. Um, so that, that's all very exciting to me as, an, as a, someone who cares about animals and as a scientist. Yeah, I, one thing I know is that you are a team of people that you're not just thinking about this once in a while. Your waking thought is about this. Your research is about this. You know, everything that you and I are talking about at, at a very quick level here is backed up by years and years and years and years. And, you know, even the, I think even the original story that goes way, way back um, and talking about monkeys and talking, I mean, there's just so much that this is based on. Um, I want to talk with you for a minute um, about Joaquin Phoenix's involvement in this. Um, most of us know who he is. Most of us know about his position on animal cruelty. But that too has to be somewhat exciting to really see that you're now getting and seriously getting the attention of so many people in the world that can do something about it. What is your sense of that? Uh, it, it, it's hugely inspiring to me um, and, and exciting because they, these are people who, they have the public attention, they could use their platform to, to draw attention to a number of different issues, but uh, Joaquin is a major one. So we have, there are other celebrities as well, but Joaquin, when he gets the public eye, he is talking about animal rights. And he, you know, in his Oscar acceptance speech, in the movies he produces and, and creates, um, he is getting this message out there. And, and because he's such a you know, charismatic person and a great actor, uh, people want to listen to him. So I think that's just hugely inspiring that people are willing to use their platform to draw attention to this issue. And he's, he's so supportive of animal rights on, on so many fronts. Thank you for today. Um, I want to ask you this last thing. Our listeners can visit PETA.org to get more information about the 30th anniversary edition of Free the Animals, you know, where they can buy it online. Also check your local bookstores and libraries 
And also visit PETA.org to learn more about PETA's research modernization deal and our plan to end animal experiments. And what's your personal message? <laughs> My personal message is um, buy cruelty-free, support PETA, and, and, and talk to your Congress people about these issues. Let them know that you care about animals. Yeah. And by the way, tell your friends, because I think friends and family, they're just not on board. Remind people that this is still a thing and it's a serious thing. Thank you so much, Dr. Emily. Thank you all. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Not just talk conversation for profound self-awareness. Stick with us. Your best life awaits on TransformationTalkRadio.com. you have heard us talk about, especially when Linda comes out to visit, our, we go around to Goodwill. Why do we do that? Well, I'm not going to answer that question, but I want to talk to you about new Goodwill national poll amid pandemic. Majority of current job seekers say they lack skills needed to access good jobs. Now, here's what I know about this. I know that in the industry I'm in, that's why we're willing to train people. Stephen Preston's joining us here today, president and CEO of Goodwill Industries, and Eileen Aparis uh, is joining us here today. Welcome to both of you. Thanks for joining me today. I mean, this is like hot on the radar for you. I want you to give us a little backdrop uh, about one, how this showed up for you, and two, you know, what the role of as CEO of Goodwill Industries International is all about. But why, why did this like get on your radar? Well, uh, it, it, this is a really important question. Today in the job market, we have 11 and a half, 11 and a half unfilled jobs. And in many cases, employers are saying, I can't find people with the skills to fill those jobs. Many of them are good paying jobs that are available. On the other hand, we have about 6 million unemployed. Uh, so not it's a little bit over half that number. So what, what we hear is, gosh, anybody who wants a job can get a job. It's such a hot job market. What we don't see is what's behind that number. So you have 6 million unemployed, but if you add people who are underemployed, not, in, not able to find full-time work, and add in people who are not earning sufficient wages to support themselves and their families, that number grows to over 20 million. There are, there, so, so, so what we see in the job market statistics doesn't really tell us about the challenges that people are having in their lives. So what we did is we went out to, to um, talk to people throughout the country to say, what is your experience with the job market? Are you looking for something? Uh, are you in your ideal job today? And if not, what are you doing about it? And what we found overwhelmingly for people that are unemployed, for people that are looking for jobs, or for people who say, I'm not in an ideal job today, all of them said that the biggest factor for them in moving forward was a lack of skills needed for the jobs that are in the market. Many people said, we actually looked at those job descriptions for the jobs we wanted, and we didn't apply because we didn't have the requirements on the job, you know, on, 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 on the requirement. So <clears throat> the irony is <laughs> there's huge opportunity for, for well-paying jobs, and 
huge need for people who want those jobs, but we, we, we are not bridging the gap to help people get the skills they need to compete for those jobs. And then the last thing we said is, well, if you could get access to free classes or other kinds of support to get those jobs, would you take advantage of it? Mm. And people said, yes, <laughs> we would take advantage of it. And, um, and we need to be able to figure out how to solve this issue because the opportunity is there, not only people, which is really what we care about, but also about corporations who need to fill those jobs to be competitive, which yeah. is important for all of us. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, especially when you're dealing in a workforce where you may have a lot of gig workers or 1099s now. That's really what's happening. There are a lot of 1099 jobs. And what happens with the 1099 jobs is an employer looks at it and said, I need A, B, C, and D. And if you don't have it, an employer hits the button. And that is a mistake because there are a lot of people out there that are willing to learn. And, you know, that is our policy here. We, it is rare to find somebody to fit the jobs we have. And so we provide a forum and leave it up to folks to learn. I got to tell you, we just brought on somebody new and she is just rocking it, picking things up left and right. And, you know, why, why is this so important? I mean, from your perspective, you know, where do you weigh in on this? I think it's important to really understand what people are looking for because skills can be trained, but soft skills cannot. I think there are a lot of individuals who are hard worker, eager, passionate, and committed. And I think we really look at skills rather than the soft skills of those individuals who are committed and have these lived experience that can definitely add to the value of the culture of the organization and at the same time really excel and find a career of loyal um, employees. Tell me about loyal, because I got to tell you, I love the word loyal. I love the word loyal employees. I'm so glad you brought that up because, you know, my friends say to me, girlfriend, you are such an optimist. You studied loyal employees. You work for a company 25 years. You are so old school. You're like really ancient. But I love that you use that word. I, I think it is such a mistake in the academic world, in the research world, in the business world, when we start to say loyalty to companies and loyalty to employees doesn't exist anymore. You brought it up, Eileen, so I got I to gotta ask you to talk to it okay <laughs> of course of course i think it all starts with culture and culture is about how much do you invest in your people is it professional development training making sure that their career goals are going to be met where they are and where they will grow in the company and it's really taking the time to mentor and coach them to get to those skills that they need and it's all those things in between because a lot of times it's not just typing skills it's not just about making sure you get on uh, at work on time. It's really about I want to pursue more because you saw the potential in me. So now I get to see the potential in myself. Mm -hmm. It's that intrinsic value that we can put into people that they start to believe. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the values of goodwill is potential. Mm -hmm. I, I totally get it. I want to get back. Let, thank you. That was that is like like the punchline here, Stephen. I want to get back to you. I know we've got a couple of minutes left. First of all, you know, uh, goodwill.org for everybody out there. Goodwill.org. But then add this on goodwill.org/slash/rising-together. What's going to happen when we go there, Stephen? What are people going to find? 
Well, so if you go to Goodwill.org, there are a number of things you're going to find. First of all, if you're a person who is potentially in the job market, you will find uh, online training classes. You can get basic um, digital skills support right on our website. You will find uh, uh, sort of mini courses on how to do your job search. How do, how do I write a resume? How do I prepare for an interview? And the third thing you can find is how to apply for a job in my local market. We actually have that uh, a partnership with Indeed.com, the largest job search engine in the world, where you can go online and apply for find jobs in your local market and actually apply to them uh, through our website. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about the Rising Together Initiative, which is basically a coalition of goodwill and other corporate partners, you can see who we're working with uh, in your communities to be able to provide that support more effectively. So, uh, and the last thing I would point you to on goodwill.org is if you are looking for resources in your local market, if you want to know where there are stores, if you want to know where there are training centers or other kinds of support, you can actually find what's available in your local market. Uh, I'm, I'm thrilled that Eileen is on it. Eileen is in, uh, is in the Seattle market and her team provides support to people locally who are looking for help. And uh, you can find people uh, like Eileen and other people around the country who are committed to supporting you in your local market yeah i mean i gotta tell you something i don't know eileen what you're doing here but i gotta tell you goodwill in the seattle market rocking it i mean honestly i visit on a regular basis we contribute on a regular basis we believe in you know the recycling of things and making things not only is are the goodwill in our areas outstanding but the staff is courteous they are trained they know how to help you i mean honestly i think every center around should take a little bit of advice from them and watch how they move people through really long lines really quickly um so eileen my hat goes off to you um the last thing i want to say and i want to thank you both for joining me i know you've got to run the other thing i want to say is you you both are on top of the fact that women and especially latina community has been affected by the pandemic in ways that we don't even understand yet. And I must say to both of you, I am doing my best, Eileen, just to you, I am doing my best to have a conversation with Senator Patty Murray. Because if we do not support the people in our area, the small businesses, how we've been hit by the pandemic, we are now known as the invisible. Thank you both. Goodwill rocks, rising together. Thank you so much for everything you're doing. We're going to take a short break, everybody. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Becoming You show with me, your host, Leah Rowling. Do you believe you are capable of choosing your future? Sometimes it takes just one person to believe in you or you to believe in yourself. If you find yourself continuing to say, someday I will take better care of myself, only to continue living the same day over and over and over again, then you, my friend, are in the right place. I am your biggest cheerleader, inspiring you to become you, on purpose and with intention. Are you ready to create a life you love? I'm excited to share with you some big ideas that you can use today to inspire, impact, and influence your life and everyone in it. The Becoming You show starts now. Hello, my favorite friends. Um, thanks for being with me today. I, 
I know your time is super valuable and I am so honored and grateful that you are spending these next 20-ish or so minutes with me. So thank you. You are one of my very favorite topics to talk about. You, your greatness, your potential, your spirit, your heart, your growth. And so you are who I'm going to be talking about today. Are you one of your favorite topics? I'm not sure when ignoring ourselves became popular. I think for me, it goes back to my early childhood when it was all too apparent that what my brother needed mattered way more than what I needed. It goes back to me being fine when I wasn't. It goes back to making sure everyone was pleased when I wasn't. Ignoring my own mattering, ignoring my less than fine, ignoring my entire essence. And really just in thinking about this now, maybe I abandoned me when my dad did. This journey to me was life-changing on so many levels. It's a discovery, a curiosity, an intentional presence, a knowing. Do you know you? Do you know what it is like to be you? I feel like understanding your personal wants, your dreams, your desires is one of the most important steps to honoring your relationship with yourself and subsequently everyone else. Paying attention to you and being authentic in that relationship with yourself is one of the very best things, the best work that you can do. We are so conditioned to think that once we lose weight, once we get the promotion, once we get married or buy a house or retire or get that acknowledgement, even that apology, then we will be happy. Then we will be enough. Then we will be worthy. Then we could love ourselves better. And I think we all know that happiness is an inside job, but do we? Sometimes, myself included, think that I would be a little bit more lovable if I was just a little different, maybe just a little smarter, a little prettier, a little more strong, a little more like anyone and everyone else. And when we try to love ourselves from that place, it's not loving ourselves at all. Of the seven plus billion people in the world, you are. There's not another person like you. And you were created for a reason. You are the purpose. And as we do this work to become more of who it is that we are, without the people pleasing and the permissions and the perfectionism, we honor who it is that we truly are and have always been. And we must be ourselves at all costs, my friends. Yes, even if that means someone won't like it. Yes, even if that means we might upset someone. And yes, even if it means someone won't like you. Guess what? I would much rather have someone not like me for being me than me not liking me for not. 
And trust me, I have lots of experience with both of those. So the question then becomes, how do we be ourselves? How do we find out what it's like to truly be us? And when you're asked the question, do you know who you are? Do you know the answer? Do you know who you are? And if so, are you being her? Are you being him? Are you allowing you to be you? One of the ways that I know that this is true for me or not is if I'm second guessing myself. Are there restrictions in how I show up? Am I committed to just being myself with little, almost to no regard to whether or not someone is going to like me or not? I want to introduce you to a concept that I heard about peaches. And I heard it, found myself going, yes, yes, this is, oh, this is so true. So I wanted to share it with you. Here's the gist. If someone doesn't like peaches, right, we don't blame the peach. We don't even blame the person for not liking the peach. We just accept that people don't like peaches. It doesn't matter how amazingly juicy the peach is. It doesn't matter how beautiful the peach is. It doesn't matter how plump it is. It doesn't matter how ripe it is. It doesn't matter where the peach came from, what batch it was in. That person just doesn't like peaches. And there's nothing at all that that peach can do to make that person like it. And here's the best part. The peach doesn't care. It's not upset at all that somebody doesn't like it for being a peach. The peach, the peach doesn't try to become an apple so, so that more people will like it. Peach is just what it is. Peach shows up and says, hey, I'm a peach, right? And if you don't like me, I am still going to be the best peach I can be. It's not jealous of the apple, wishing that it were different. It doesn't try to be more like the apple. It's just happy and worthy and content being a peach. So the question is, are you being a peach? Are you 100% convicted of who you are, not taking offense to maybe who people want you to be, not offended when someone doesn't see your awesomeness? And when you can show up as your best you, you can begin to love yourself on a much deeper, more connected level. You get to understand yourself, adore yourself, and become obsessed with your life, which is the goal that I want for each and every one of you. So the first thing that we have to do to know who we are and what it means to be a peach is we have to look at who we are with some curiosity. Hmm. Am I trying to be an apple? Who am I an apple with? Who am I a peach with? How many of you are peaches trying to be apples? I mean, I get it. Why wouldn't you want to be an apple? Apples are better. They just look good in magazines. People typically like apples better. They're more common. They're used in more quotes, right? They must be better. So I'm just going to try to be an apple. I want you to be honest with yourself. Are you doing that? Are you thinking my best friend is an apple? Ah, that's what I need to be. Or this person that I admire that has the things that I want. She, he is an apple. I should be them. 
or your dad thought you should have been an apple or your mom or a friend or a colleague. And so you're trying to be the best apple you can be. But friends, if you're a peach, you're never going to be a good apple. You're always going to suck at being a good apple or even an okay apple. And then you're going to blame yourself for not being a good, better, or best kind of apple. When you spend your life being mad that you're not an apple, wishing that you could be more like an apple, you miss being the amazing peach that you are. And I don't want to miss, I don't want you to miss you. I don't want you to think that you would be better being someone else because it's not only not true, it's not possible. So what does it mean to be yourself? So here are a couple of exercises to do in order to familiarize yourself with yourself. First, think about the people who you think really know you the most. What have you shown them that makes them know you the most? What do they know about you that others don't know? What are you hiding from everyone else? Who are you trying to be? Friends, there's a balance between positive and negative. I talk about this a lot. It's the 50-50 of this life. It's one of the concepts that I learned and now teach that has helped me live my life with way more acceptance as I don't have to try to fight against the human condition anymore. It's exhausting. You can't outrun it. Trust me, I tried. So there is a part of me that's a hot mess. There is. And there is a part of me that feels really amazing. So what part of you haven't you embraced? That part of you that you have some shame around? All of those things are part of you, part of your experience, part of your life. The truth about you and who you are that maybe you haven't even embraced yet. So truly being yourself means also embracing the part of you that you would prefer to hide, the mess that I speak of. Perhaps you wish that you could take it back. You could erase it. The part of you that holds so much shame and regret and suffering. Maybe it's a part of your body. Maybe it's part of your experience or a part of your history or thoughts and feelings. It can be anything at all that represents that negative side of you. That side of you that you want to hide from. The side of you that wouldn't tell that secret to anyone. I'm asking you to embrace all of it. Until we do, until we embrace it, we cannot free ourselves from the shame of it. There is so much talk about letting go. But friends, so many of us have not even let it in. We need to sit with the shame and look at it and question it lovingly, of course, and see if we can't find some honor in it, some education, some learning, some grace, some wisdom. We think that if we hide it and shove it down and disregard it, then either one, we can pretend that it didn't happen. (laughs) 
until we are reminded that actually it did. And that reminder is loud and mean and unkind and terrifying. Or two, we think that it is the cost to bear for our grievance. We think that this heavy regret is the burden we must bear for doing that thing or saying that thing or being that way. And we give our life over to that thing. We cripple our existence in humanity for being human. So many clients I work with are like, oh, so we're just supposed to be okay with what we did? I mean, wouldn't that ensure that we would do that said thing again? I get the question. Trust me. I have asked it of myself lots of times. And the answer is and will always be shame doesn't make us better people. Shame doesn't have us showing up as our best. Shame doesn't allow us to become not human. Shame doesn't prevent the 50-50. Actually, shame festers in it. It festers in the hiding and it grows bigger. And when we try and hide it, we don't learn, we don't grow, and we don't become out of it. Shame doubles down on how you see yourself. And it doesn't advise you to step into your best. It reminds you to stay stuck in your worst. I truly believe that one of the reasons we're not showing up genuinely and authentically is because of this shame. Because of this shame, we lie to the world about being someone that we're not in hopes that others will like us. And that will give us permission to like ourselves. Shame motivates this people pleasing that I talk about. Shame requires approval and seeks validation. And as long as you are shaming you, you will look to others for permission instead of to yourself. So I think in order to show up as yourself, you have to do three things. First, you have to stop ignoring you. Second, you have to expose that shame within you. And third, you have to accept the gift that is you. So let's take these down one at a time. What would it mean for you to stop ignoring you? Well, it would mean that you would have to choose on purpose, intentionally to matter. It would mean that you would have to listen to something other than your overly critical and very loud ego. You would have to still your mind to hear the whispers of your heart. It has a voice, you know. You just haven't been listening. Think about a child who has been trying to get their mom's attention and they're pulling at her leg and the mom just shushes them away, right? And if the child does that enough times, and if that is the response, guess what? The child will stop asking. The child will stop telling you what they need what they desire, what they care about. They will stop telling you how they feel and what they dream about. Your heart, your soul, your intuition, your inner knowing, your wisdom, whatever you want to call it, will guide you, will nurture you, will support you, will celebrate and honor you if you would be so kind to let it speak. And when the shame is too loud, it deafens the truth the truth that you matter, the truth that you were never supposed to do this life perfectly, that your life was never supposed to be perfect, 
The truth that whatever you did, you were always supposed to do. And the truth that whatever you didn't do, you were never supposed to do. That is the truth. The shame that there's something wrong with you, that you need fixed, that you're broken, that you're not worthy. That's the lie. Shame says there's something wrong with you. Shame says that you should hide. Shame says that you should be someone else. Shame says that your life would be better if you were someone, anyone, than who it is that you are. Shame wants you to be an apple when you are not. Friends, they're just lies. There's nothing wrong with you. You should not be anyone else other than the peach that you are. Your life would not be better. Think about this. Your life would not be better if you were someone else. Think about if you were someone else, your life would not be your life at all. What if the very thing that you're hiding from, that thing that I mentioned up earlier, that thing that you wouldn't want to tell anyone, what if that will free you to be who you were always supposed to be? What if the story of the shame actually is what is required to set you free from the shackling of it? What if the story allows you to connect with not only yourself, but the world? What if the story just needs to be told? You expose the shame by sharing it. And I'm not suggesting you broadcast it to the world or on social media, unless, of course, you felt compelled to. I'm just suggesting you share it with yourself. When I share my shame story with my heart, this is what she says. She's like, you are always enough. Your worth is set. Nothing more is required of you. You don't need anyone's approval. You need yours. The permission you need is yours to give. You don't need to know how. Trust. Leah, can you trust me? When you cultivate that relationship with yourself, you can ask for direction. You can ask for what's next. You can ask what is possible. You can ask for what you need. And furthermore, you can trust your answer. You can honor yourself. When we think about these areas in our life that we wish were better, maybe it's our health, maybe it's our finances, our relationships, our weight, our careers. This is what I know to be true. No matter where you are with any of it, mattering matters. You see, you take care of what matters. You take care of what is important. Think about what matters in your life. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your brother. Maybe it's your mom or your pet, or your home, what matters to you? I bet you take care of it, right? The same is true for you. When you matter, you will take care of you. You will listen to you. You will expect more from yourself. Not because you're not worthy, but because you are. People say all the time, well, Leah, if I just love myself for who I am, then why wouldn't I just eat whatever I want? My answer is, if you loved yourself, you would realize that you really don't love Oreos (laughs) and you don't love Doritos. You don't. Your shame does. Your story does. You not wanting to feel does. You, my friend, do not. Your body does not and your physiology does not. 
If you mattered, if you wanted to take care of you, how would you show up? How would you eat? How would you engage in conversations? How would you dress? How would your house look? How would, be your, how would your habits be? How would be your routines? How is the work that you're putting out in the world? Are you impressing yourself or are you trying to impress others? This journey to self is the best work you can do because it matters. It has to. Otherwise, why would you be here? Why? When you think about who you are and who you want to be, can you answer that by silencing the voice that offers up who you were supposed to be and choose to live into who you are? I promise you that's the way. If you were supposed to be someone else, don't you think you would have been? Can you ask yourself who you are? When I ask myself that, I answer, I'm loving and I'm caring, and I'm generous, and I'm open, (laughs) and I'm also a mess, and I'm scared, and I'm disappointed, and I'm uncomfortable, and I'm mostly happy, and I'm a little courageous, right? And who do I want to be? I want to be all of those things, (laughs) maybe a little more courageous, maybe a little more bold and brave and direct, maybe a little more unapologetic, right? Maybe a little bit more kind and gentle with the mistakes I make, But whether they are mistakes of the day or the week or the month or from decades ago, can we find the middle between the shame of the mistake and the ego of what is right and wrong, good and bad, and acknowledge the mistake for what it is? I'm not suggesting not owning it. I'm not. I'm not suggesting not wanting to write it. I'm just suggesting to not let it suffocate you and steal your life. It can if you let it. Are you showing up for your worth or are you allowing your mistakes to keep you stuck as the rightful punishment? I wish shame made us better. I wish shame kept us from making the same mistakes over and over and over again. I wish shame allowed us to step into the greatness of that which is our life, but it does not. So here are three suggestions on how and what you can do to help you get to know yourself better. First, Spend time with you, get to know you, talk to you, celebrate you, be curious about you. Think about meeting someone for the very first time. What do you do? Well, you ask questions. And then what do you do? You listen. You notice what you like about them, what makes them unique, special. You listen more than you talk. Second, spend time with new people. New people are opportunities to show up on purpose and intentional. Who do you want to be? You get to redesign and redefine your personality. Meeting new people gives you an opportunity to practice your social self, your your authenticity without permission, without needing validation. And friends, when we approve of ourselves, we do not need it from other people. And then (laughs) something magical happens. You get to adore and love and listen and acknowledge the awesomeness in people because you're going to be so much more involved in who it is that they are and less involved with what it is that they think that you are. And third, spend time creating who it is that you want to be. Did you know that your personality is not fixed? 
It's not genetic. It's not based on who your parents were or weren't for you. It's not based on who you surrounded yourself with. Do you know what your personality is dependent on? You. And you can create it. You can determine who it is that you want to be. You just get to decide. Your worth can't change. It can't be more. It can't be less. It's always just 100%. Now, you may not agree with me, and you may not embrace it. You may not be showing up for it, but it has always been 100%. Your worth is set. It is complete. You've just been listening to the wrong story. And here's the best news. You, your worth, who it is that you really are, it's not about you. It's about who created you. Now, whether or not you believe in God or universe or something different, someone created you. Someone gave you life. And when you say it's not good enough, when you say you wish it was different, when you say it could have been better, what are we doing? Are we negotiating the gift? The gift that is our life? What if we receive the gift in the spirit with which it was given? What if we could just be obsessed with our life, with this gift? What is the very best gift you've ever been given? Just think how we would feel if the gift we were receiving was our life. Because it is. How do you unwrap that? What do you do with that? Are you valuing it? Are you using it? Are you obsessed with it? Or is it collecting dust on a shelf somewhere, hidden, ignored? Here's the thing. This is what I know for sure. If I can love me, then I can pretty much love anyone. It's a topic for next week. But are you receiving the gift? Are you going to? Are you going to enjoy it? Or are you just going to put it back on a shelf in your closet? I want to suggest that you just accept it, receive it, and then be it. Because it's the purpose of your life to be who you are. You don't even need to try to find your purpose anymore. The purpose is you. And when you live into the purpose of being who you are, you recognize and delight and enjoy your worthiness. Make it a priority to stop ignoring you, expose the shame within you, and accept the gift that is you. Start cultivating the most important relationship you will ever have, the one with you. That relationship, the one with you, is the foundation for every other single relationship you will ever have. If you like this episode, can you do me a favor? Would you share it with maybe somebody that needed to hear this message today? Somebody that maybe questions their worthiness? Somebody that maybe wants to live into more of who it is that they are, but they're waiting for permission. They're waiting for their moms and their dads to love them so that they can be deemed worthy of their own worth. If you have any questions with anything that you have learned, here, or maybe you want help on this very topic, this this unwrapping of your life, this revealing of the shape. I would love to have a conversation with you. 
Thank you for being with me here today. Have an amazing rest of your day, rest of your week. And I will see you next week, Friday, same time, 11 Central. See you soon. 